BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. At some point, every young athlete thinks about going pro. And why not? When you have the skill, talent, and ability that is recognized, you're going to want to advance into that small elite group of those who continue beyond the junior level. It's been noted that less than 1% will go from the collegiate level to the pros in the U.S. Practically, it means that it is highly competitive for those who want to extend their playing careers. So unsurprisingly, many athletes look to compete overseas. And this is why this week's guest is Jory Davis. Jory is a professional basketball player who has played internationally, including in Greece, Spain, Switzerland, Italy, Israel, and Romania. She's also the founder of Revolve, an online brand created to combat the imbalance between the athlete and the commercial side of the industry. And Jory uses her platforms, including her podcast, Unguarded, to underscore the experiences of overseas athletes and dispel the myths of what it takes to make it to the top of their game. Jory's work centers on making sure the athletic voice is always at the forefront of the conversation. And when you hear her speak, you'll understand why. Welcome to the Global Chatter. All right, so everybody knows that I like to start every episode with a location check because when you do a podcast and people are all over the world, you cannot assume where they are. And so, hey, Jory, where in the world are you right now? I am in uh, Italy, right outside of Bologna in a a town called Faenza. So I'm going to ask you this question. Have you picked up any Italian while you're out there? Yes, I've picked up a little bit of Italian. It's It's been difficult because I haven't been five years straight in Italy. I've gone to different countries, Spain, Greece, um, in between. And so it's hard to kind of pick up one language. But but I have. I can completely understand. My coach doesn't need to translate in practice. Oh. So, um, But the pronunciation is tough. Originally from New Orleans, so you know, I already had to... <laughs> Get rid of that New Orleans twang no, and then try to learn another no. language. That's so, that, that twang's awesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, it's been 
the pronunciation, I will not lie, is is difficult. But but yeah, I can I can understand. I can get by for my Italian. And I think you've just given a great segue. So obviously from your voice, people can tell that you are American. But more mm-hmm. importantly, so where did you grow up? I grew up uh, in New Orleans, Louisiana, um, on the on the West Bank. Uh, so across the bridge. Yeah. If you go the other other way, uh, um, leaving French quarters and everything. Um, that's where I was born and raised. And so I spent uh, 14 years of my life there. And oh, wow. then from there... I started to to move around a little bit. Oh my goodness! So is your is your family still there? Or you still have family in Louisiana? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, of course, Katrina. Uh, a lot of the younger generation, my cousins, a lot of people moved to Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are in Atlanta, of course. Um, but yeah, my grandmother, more of the the older folk, are still hanging oh, on in New yeah. Orleans. Wow. But you know, after after Katrina, a lot of people transition to to Houston, Atlanta, moved around a little bit. And so for those of you who aren't aware or aren't American, that's Hurricane Katrina, which many of us remember from, ooh, was that 2005, 2006? Am I hitting it right? Yeah. 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 Um, And and kind of the hurricanes that went through that impacted Louisiana, Texas, and Alabama. And so where did you go? You said you were there until the age of 14. Where did you go then? What, What was, where were you living? Actually, seventh grade, me and my mom went to Dallas. I spent the year there. And then she got married. So we went back to New Orleans for my eighth grade year. And then actually after that, that's when I went with her and my stepdad. He was working abroad in the UK. And that's where at my freshman year high school, I lived in uh, Welling Garden City, right outside of London. And so went there freshman year high school and then finished high school back stateside in Rochester, New York. Okay. So you just revealed something I didn't even know. But it's like every time I have a guest on here, I'm like, okay, their childhood's going to be pretty straightforward. And then they go, oh, yeah, by the way, I lived in Broadford. I'm like, where was I supposed to find this? (laughs) Okay. So tell me more about that. I mean, here's the thing, which is this is what I find interesting. You lived in Louisiana until you were, you know, what, 13, 14. And then you're Mm -hmm. right. You had (laughs) all of a sudden you had all this movement that I'm sure was so different than when you were a kid. What was your experience? And I, to me, I think really they're two distinct cultural experiences. What was your experience first moving to the UK and just being there during, you know, that one year? Oof. I mean, it was, again, I was fresh out of New Orleans. I hadn't, I mean, traveled that much, mm-hmm. just a little bit, you know, for tournaments going to like Houston, Atlanta, something like that. But yeah, I mean, so to go from New Orleans to South <laughs> to right. the UK, an all girl school, you know, posh, wearing my skirt with my oh my goodness, you know, little <laughs> like, baby doll shoes every day. It was like, where what? am I? You know, it was, <laughs> it was tough. I was definitely, you know, again that homesickness, feeling you know a little bit of de- depressed because um, I hadn't found basketball when we first got there. My my parents wow. needed time to figure out where I could play. Wow. Um, but you know, obviously, again, people couldn't really fully understand me when I spoke. Um, you know, you know, the, the Brits are, their English is very posh. So they were like, what are you saying? You right. Know? <laughs> and, and you're um, from the South, right? So it's like on time. Because <laughs> yeah. sometimes we can't understand what we're saying to each other in the yeah. States, right? Wow. So, so it was, it was hard, but um, definitely there were a few students that, you know, embraced me being different. Of mm-hmm. course, 
uh, ironically, their parents were world travelers. So mm-hmm. they, you know, you could tell that that's why they were more open to understanding me where I was from. They knew where I was from because they study yeah. the world globally. So they had that global view compared to some of the other uh, pupils. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't, you know, they were like, where is this person from? Um, yeah. And then, of course, also being being um, black and in a predominantly white school, it was it was an adjustment. Um, but you know, it it helps me grow. And uh, you know, when it came time to the 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 physical fitness class and stuff, that's when you know, <laughs> playing basketball and killing everybody. You know, that's that was always my thing. Changing places, if I could just find a court, right. And, uh, you know, dominate, then, you know, that's my way to, to network and, 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 you know, kind of find my way into the crew. So, And so, and it seems really weird to say this because obviously you came back to the States and you went to Rochester, which is upstate New York. I would imagine that that was still a different cultural shift for you because once again, growing up in Louisiana and then, of course, spending that year in Dallas, Texas, that's that's a different move, even if you hadn't gone to the UK, mm-hmm. right, all the way to upstate New York. So how is it for you then coming back after a year abroad and then you are coming back to the States, but now you're coming to some part that you've never lived and is totally different regionally, especially with winter. Yeah. I just want to say that for those who don't know. Yeah. Winter ain't... <laughs> it, you're checking it, it winter it. is not the same. Yeah, I mean, I first, I'm pretty sure I first saw snow uh, when I did go to Texas, it did snow, but it was, it was nothing along the lines of Rochester. (laughs) There was a big storm also in the UK um, and I wasn't prepared. So that was also, you know, I I had a little bit of practice. And then once I hit Rochester, I was like, whoa, (laughs) no, (laughs) what what is this? You know, we were like, this is on another level. I've never seen anything like this. So the weather was different. Of course, now upstate New York, you're dealing with a whole, a different type of, 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 of people. Yeah. And again, a predominantly white high school, but again, it's a different type of culture, mm. you know? So it was another adjustment, but I, you know, truthfully, another, one of the blogs I wrote a while back was, you know, basketball was always my, like my best friend. Mm-hmm. That was my, my safe area that I knew, okay, if I find a court or some girls playing basketball, that's that I would be okay. You know? And so truthfully basketball got me through all of these, these changes because I could always find my place, always find my community that would get me no matter where I was in the world or being different, we could connect in that way. And so I think it would have been different if I didn't have basketball, my experience, I did deal with a little bit of adjustment, but I think due to the ability of being able to play a team sport yeah. and being good at it too, mm-hmm. I was able to 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 find friends and and kind of build relationship faster than someone who maybe didn't play sports, who just was an individual person just yeah. going to this new location. So I I will say that it was a blessing mm-hmm. for me um, because I was able to use that to quickly find. Uh, a cluster or community of people that would accept me and help me integrate into the new new area I was in. At what age did you start playing basketball? Well, I professed my love for basketball at three. Okay. I was one of those three-year-olds um, 
there are a few Roger Federer, a few a few athletes that that they have that three year old story. Yeah, uh, that was me. But my mom, my mom was a prissy thing. All my aunties were AKAs, so you can imagine. <laughs> Um, Not so that you she, can't play basketball, and and but yeah, it, but, but you know, like you're you know, like down <laughs> south, down south, pretty women. You know how yeah, it, yeah, it's it's just different. So she she you know she had me doing some cheerleading stuff and everything, and then like finally people were like Tracy. That's my mom's name is Tracy. <laughs> Let Jory play basketball, and so I started um, around like eight eight years old finally started i was terrible i was very raw i needed a lot of coaching but nine nine years old was where i started to play organized recreational basketball but i had always been playing um and saying i wanted to play um since i was three okay this is good because this ain't got nothing to do with you but you're an athlete i have a four-year-old niece (laughs) (laughs) and she is beyond athletic. Like I look at her and go, "There's no way you can have the skill set." And you're, yeah. and and uh, and here, <laughs> just to give you a taste, I watched her in her case with a soccer ball and was like, "But this eye hand coordination, yeah." Like her dad played, but like I'm like, "You're three, and the kicks that she's doing, no, like she can hurt you." Do you understand what I yeah. mean? Like she's got power, <laughs> and she's so good at sports. And I keep looking at her, going. I need to put her in a team sport, but I, is she too young? And, and just sort of hearing you go, well, in your mind, cause she already loves it. Like she's high energy, yeah. whatever. But listen to you say, you know, at a young age, it doesn't like, fine, you weren't great at eight, but at a really mm. young age, you knew that this, like, this is going to yeah. be part of your story. And so I'm listening to you going, Oh God, now when I'm done, I'm gonna call my sister and be like, let's go ahead yeah. and put her in nah, definitely. <laughs> in New Orleans, you know, I was late, you know, in New Orleans because of the, the way sports is set up is different in other other states, truthfully, other countries. Because in New Orleans, we had programs set up. Your park that was in your neighborhood, you could go sign up at three and start mm. playing, um, which was something that wasn't it wasn't the same. Once me and my mom left New Orleans, we were like, they don't have this. Like, where can you yeah. got go sign her up at the park? They didn't have that infrastructure, but in New Orleans, they did. And so I know players that had started at five, four. So I was late to the party, actually. Uh, <laughs> Were you really? I'm so, you know, okay. compared compared to others, but yeah, I think it's it's never too early. I think the only part I would say is too early is you know when people start living vicariously through that the player, like, oh, she gonna go here? Like, no, the early ages for them to just love it, right? To learn to love it, to learn going through the through the process and working hard and dealing teammates and <laughs> all that, but. Yeah. Talking like you going to be pro and all that right. at that age, it kills it. <laughs> kills right. It. And so I, you know, clearly um, you played in high school. Mm-hmm. And so given your story up until that point, had you played on like when you were in the UK, had you played? And I don't I'm, I'm claiming ignorance here. Was there like a high school team or a, a secondary, you know, a secondary school team kind of similar to what we have? Or did you? You know, was it yeah, when you got the, to New York? In the UK. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, in the yeah. UK. Yeah. In the UK, um, they, so in, in Europe in general, they have uh, club teams and usually mm-hmm. they have the amateurs are in this one club team. Um, for me, it was a shaky start because we didn't know my school, your school usually doesn't have sports. It's the okay. clubs, mm-hmm. which are separate yeah. from the schools. And so I started out actually playing in the men's beer league. 
just playing. And then someone saw me and I started playing in the the 14 year old girls league, which wasn't, it was like a, it was like a recreational one. Someone saw me. And then that's when I finally got into a real club team that, you know, had like an academy type setup where you starting the young teams, work your way, you can work your way all the way up to the pro team. So I started, um, Spelton Acers was the name of my team. And I started with the uh, under 18 Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also played with the professional women, but I did not get paid. So I didn't break my NCAA el- eligibility. Wow. So yeah, that's how it, how it went. I played with the under 18 and I also played with the professional women. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's kind of how it's set up in Europe. You have these academies, clubs yeah. where they have from the young age, mm-hmm. you know, under 14, yeah. all the way to the senior women. And so that's that's what I did while I was in the UK. So then I think it's right to say that when your family knew you were moving to New York, you anticipated you would at least try and play at the high school level, obviously, yes, probably definitely. already thinking in your mind, OK, I know that I want to play in college. Was that where mm-hmm. you the track that you were on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my stepdad is an engineer. And so he <laughs> due diligence, you know, Good for all yeah. planning is, is his thing. Um, and so the, the high school we chose, he actually planned it too. He was like, well, it would be six of you guys seniors together to have a run at state championships. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, I just want to get to a team, you right. know, when we get back to the States. But he was like, no, we should find a school where you can stay with your core team for the next three years. And, and uh, it was, he was right. It, that was, it was great to have those, you know, we were sophomores, mm-hmm. all six of us. And, you know, we won, we won three back-to-back-to-back championships, but. <laughs> Says this very, you know, very chill. Um, yeah, you know, we won. But yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> the relationships I built with them. And again, it was another opportunity where, you know, I was in the team that helped me kind of transition and, and integrate into the, the Rochester life. So. <laughs> So were you when, you know, I I think back to junior, senior year and I worked with high school students for a long time and thinking about college. Mm -hmm. Clearly, you know, you had a sport you loved. It's been your way to kind of build, you know, form your own community. Did you have your eye on certain places that you thought you wanted to go or was it were you very open ended and just seeing what opportunities would come your way? Like what how did you end up picking what would be Indiana University where you went to? How did you end up picking IU? Like, was it, there were other places, but there was something that was specifically that kind of stuck out to you. Yeah. Yeah. So before I left for the UK, when I was, when I was playing AAU, my, my AAU team, the sister of Pokey Chapman, one of the famous coaches, she's now the new head coach at Seattle, mm-hmm. the WNBA team, but her sister was over our AAU organization in New Orleans. And so she was actually at LSU during that time. Mm-hmm. So my dream was to play at LSU, you know, being from obvious, New Orleans. Yeah. Gonna, <laughs> I was yeah. going to say that So makes I sense. wanted to play at LSU. But during the time when, you know, colleges back then started to recruit when you were like eighth grade. Um, and so I left. <laughs> and like people even said, like, they didn't even know where to, they were sending recruiting letters to my coaches and they were like, where is Jory Davis? Because I lit, I mean, I went overseas. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> you people still don't know overseas <laughs> is a thing that they even play. So, you know, the recruiters, they were like, oh, I guess she just dipped. She don't play anymore, you know? 
But starting when I was young, LSU was the goal. Of course, so much happened. I moved around yeah. and everything. So once I got to upstate New York, it's a different recruiting circuit. So for me, mm-hmm. it wasn't, I wasn't really like, ah, oh, there's a school I dream of. At yeah. this point, it was like, I just want to play. And then the criteria, again, my, my stepdad, we used the decision matrix <laughs> to choose what was important to me. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, I wanted to play for a woman, a black head coach. Mm. So that was one thing. Uh, we wanted the percent of uh, students, you know, African-American mm-hmm. students to be, uh, I think we went for like over 9% or eight, over 8%. Mm-hmm. I think IU, Indiana at the time, I think they had like 10. Mm-hmm. It was a lot. Um, and of course they had the Kappas there, the Qs there. Mm-hmm. So you had that, you know, black fraternity environment. And there were a few things I wanted to go for business. IU at the time was the number one business school. They were also the number one party school. Yeah. So it was like, I'm going to have fun too. Right. Um, so there were some things that we went through the decision matrix and that's how we kind of chose. And Indiana basically checked off everything wow. as far as what I wanted. And then, of course, it was in the Big Ten, which is a big conference. And so that's why they ultimately won and then, you know, then it was off in motion, as my stepdad says, like you make informed decisions. And then once the boxes are checked, now you can let emotion take over and your intuition. And that's what kind of happened. Can I tell you, like, I appreciate you sort of breaking down how you and your family determined IU, because that is probably one of the most strategic plans mm-hmm. that I've heard, like as an athlete, how balanced you were in terms mm-hmm. of this is what I need for me personally. This is what I need for me professionally. This is what I need for me to do well on this team. Because I, yeah. do, I think if you're outside of the athletic world and athletic bubble, folks don't realize how much thought, you yeah. know, people really put into these decisions. And, and, and I'm going to say this at a relatively young age, because 16, 17, 18, to be making, <laughs> you, you know, just... To get to the collegiate level, you know, for you think about this, most most kids and for my own career, it is so exhausting just just keeping it on academic and, you know, whatever personal like tie or interest they have somewhere. But that athletic layer and for you to really Mm -hmm. sit down and say it had all these things and then you particularly being like, and I want a black female coach. (laughs) Which then, let's be honest, whenever we whenever there's certain characteristics we're looking at someone. It, it it's it makes the pool smaller, yeah. you know, just because yeah. of numbers, not because of talent or quality. It's just there are only yeah. so many at any one time for whatever reason. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm listening to you and I feel like I have a lot more <laughs> respect for even just what it's like to be that age to do it. I am an NC State grad, so women's basketball <laughs> home of KL. <laughs> I'm yes. just gonna drop. I'm just gonna drop that. That's yeah. just me dropping it for no other reason, just to say respect. That's a legend, right? And I and you know the women were trying to do their thing against UConn mm-hmm. <laughs> the other day, um, yeah, in the championship. And so, but I I just love kind of the 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 conversation you're bringing because I think as much as we see about men's sports too, we don't mm-hmm. hear about what you know, the processes for women and whatnot. And so where I want to go with this is really ask you, so IU for you, you played all four years. What was that experience now? You, you now, (laughs) you've actually moved quite a bit and now you're in the, you're in the Midwest. 
but mm-hmm. you are playing on a team and you are playing in the Big Ten. How how was how was playing at IU? What was your experience? I mean, you know, Bloomington. You know, now you go. That's another whole change. Like there was, I never, I hadn't lived in any place like Bloomington, Indiana. So again, you know, we had Coach Jack. Then she brought in. I think out of our six freshmen, I think four of us were black. Mm-hmm. So you know, there was un- undercurrents of things. Of you know, also her her staff. It was three black coaches and one Australian mm-hmm. at the time. So, you know, Coach Jack came in <laughs> boldly. You know, if you look at the team now that IU has uh, currently on the, in the women's basketball space, you know, you don't see uh, people, many people of color. So, um, again, at, at a young rookie coming on, I didn't see those things. But over time, we saw it. And then, of course, being removed, we saw it. But overall, my, my time at IU – you know, I didn't have any bad experiences, to tell you the truth. And again, I think there's always that common story when you are an athlete, yeah. you're kind of shielded from things that the people that aren't athletes deal with on campus, you know. Um, and so I, I know that's been something now I've been really proactive to pay attention of how I'm treated compared to someone else. Um, why I get certain privileges because I'm an athlete, whereas if I wasn't, then what? You know, so um, I will say at IU, I didn't have any bad experiences, to tell you the truth. Um, it was it was a great experience for me. Now, of course, driving to Indianapolis, going through, I think it's Martinsville or whatever, you know, there was the times where people were like, do not stop there. Don't because, you know, and it was local people from Bloomington telling us, hey, girls, don't stop in this area. Go straight to Indianapolis if you're driving there. So, you know, there were the things that, you know, we're young. We we know it. We're aware of it, but yeah. we don't really spend too much time thinking about it. And that was that was kind of it. But my overall experience was was solid. It was good. So I think that's a great stopping point because where I want to pick up after the break is that jump from what happens when you've, you know, played the collegiate level and how you got overseas, because I think there's a lot that we can talk there. So If you're listening, hold on and we'll be back after these messages. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
right. So if you were listening before the break, Joy was talking about her experiences at college and, and, you know, her playing days there. And, and that's where we left off. And obviously if you have been following along, you know that she's in Italy. And so I think this is a really great time to sort of talk about how your career went overseas. And I, I have mentioned to this to you off air and, you know, given the time that we're recording and everything that's happening in the world, it's interesting to me with the unfortunate Brittany Griner situation that people now realize that <laughs> there's a whole host of athletes abroad. And, and, yeah. and that's, un, it's unfortunate for her circumstances. And of course we're praying for her well being and, and that it's to be resolved peacefully, but can you kind of walk us through how you go from playing, you know, in the Big Ten, big conference, you know, well-known, well-known school for basketball in general, male and female, right? And then you you are now and have had an extensive career overseas. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, you graduate. Um, I was um, a draft, WNBA draft pick. So, you know, again, there 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 aren't to this day still there's no real trusted educator on how you transition into that pro space. Mm. And so I had to kind of figure out an agent, you know, kind of find my way, scramble around. And, you know, the agent that I did choose, she dropped the contract that I knew nothing about, told me to sign it. We didn't go through it. She didn't explain, educate me. She just said, this is it. This is what they usually get as rookies. Where could I compare my salary? Nowhere. Just signed it because I wanted the opportunity. So yeah, I'm, first year was Israel, Tel Aviv. <laughs> um, my mom's nerves was bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, yeah. wait, what, what are you going? Right. First we talk at WBA. Now there's no WBA you have to go. So yeah, I mean, I think it's the trans, there is no, the transition is literally just get up and go. Um, wow. Luckily for me, I had experience in my past, my youth of getting up and going. Um, and so, yeah, that was, I got overseas and that was my first year playing professionally abroad and that's where people don't know like NCAA says one percent make it pro but actually it's 20 percent and a lot of that 20 percent of players American football volleyball baseball basketball they're abroad they're playing in South America or they're playing in Europe or they're playing in in Asia you know um they're just not in the states and that was one of those I, I got like 15 questions. Y'all can't see my face right now. <laughs> like she's, she's very chill and answering the question. I'm like, wait a minute, stop. Yeah. <laughs> There's about five stops we need to have. The first one is you graduate and was your anticipation, which would be a totally typical anticipation, you would play for the WNBA. Was that at least a goal or an immediate yeah. goal? Okay. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> like that's, I, that's a- that's a whole have, story. But just what, what's just the bite size, like, or at least for those of us who are uninitiated, you know, with the agent you had, was she not good at what she was doing? Did she not, were you not, like, what, what was going on there? I mean, people look at sport business, they see it from an outside view fans and they look at it as it's such a, oh, this is a big business. There's, there's a certain level of professionalism with NBA, those leagues, but then Truthfully, it's it's a very it's human commerce in this sport business. It's yeah. it's deals, is you know, individual people. Uh there aren't really any real entities. Um, and so for me, you know, the agent I picked was truthfully from another player I knew, uh, who played at Illinois, a friend. She went pro the year before me. That's who I had. I had my coach 
who, of course, coach gave me a name of a, a agent, a lawyer agent who was also her agent. And I chose Stephanie Stanley, who was who was uh, she was a uh, one of the only black women again <laughs> that was an agent in the space. And so, again, yeah, that part tug that my emotions are feeling like, OK, I'm gonna go with her. But I mean, I was drafted. I didn't even know I was going to get drafted. I was in class. A student was following the news and told the teacher, oh, hold on. Jory was drafted. And he said it. And then she called me and I was like, oh, my mom called me. We got the fever. Da, 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 da. So I'm in the gym working out, getting ready, just ready to go play. But now business is taking place and I didn't have an idea of what was going on. I was just like, I'm going to get in the gym. I'm ready for preseason. And there was a whole business taking place, calls being made, deals being made. And that's where I failed and not having an agent that was 100 percent invested in me. In her mind, I was already going to be an overseas athlete for her. And so, yeah, what what happened was I, I showed up uh, for a, tr- a workout before training camp started. The, lo- the locker, everything was closed. I'm like, where everybody at? And the next day I was cut because um, there was a three way trade between teams. Had no idea about it. Um, my agent didn't have a plan of making sure I could get into another training camp, which I learned later that that could have easily been the case where I just went to another training camp to at least get seen in the the yeah. space, but it didn't happen. And that's where ultimately it was like, okay, go overseas and try again. But, you know, the, the, the league is 144 women <laughs> from all over the world, um, the globe. So if you're not strategically doing what you have to do, or if you're not the best of the best where they can't deny you, you have to know your business. And and I didn't. And so that's where I ultimately went overseas. So what I'm hearing from you is player education is so important, right? Yep. That athletes, and I, I would imagine this is any sport, but having if you're fortunate to have someone who can walk you through, who understands the nuances, not only of, 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 of being an athlete, but even an, an athlete in that space. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I imagine there, yeah, sure. There's some similarities between, you know, randomly maybe soccer, hockey and football and basketball, but then you get to the nuances as to what the options are. And then I would imagine this is just me really literally imagining maybe even nuances when you get to gender mm-hmm. and in some, in some cases, maybe with some sports, maybe not all sports. Is that, does that sound like, yeah, yeah, there's just no trusted educator. Everybody that you rely on to educate you have, it's a conflict of interest every turn you go <laughs> right. because they're a business. The agent right. is a business. The recruiter is a business. The team is the business, the coach trying to win games because they're in the business. So there, there's no, uh, yeah, there's no trusted space that has no ulterior motive but yeah. to help you manage, level up, get to where you're trying to go. That doesn't exist in the sport industry right now. And that's that's kind of what makes it hard for a player because college, you have your head coach, you have your your mm-hmm. drobo, your, your manager and everything. Yeah. And they are there for all 12 of those players. Right. To make sure you practicing, you getting food. But yeah. once you leave that, now you are no longer that product. They had to make sure you were the best to be on the court for what they needed you for. Yeah. Once you walk away, 
someone else is their priority now. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's kind of the the biggest issue I think is that you just the lack of education. So with that being said, you your your international career starts in Israel and what, what how long did you play in Israel or you know, were you one there? year. One year. year. Israel's actually one of the shorter leagues. Um so you go over truthfully like I went over like Septemberish and mm-hmm. then the league is done like March. So it's usually done. That's like one of the short leagues. That's why a lot of WNBA players go Okay. To that league as well, so they can play and then be back in time for for the WNBA season in the summer. But um, yeah, that was my first season. So obviously, you're a veteran of of having been on the international circuit. But what was like that? What was that like for your first, <laughs> you know, your first professional 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 game and your overseas? And what was that mm-hmm. like? And I'm sure the first time in the Middle East. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Actually, actually, I will say, of course, in general, just being going by myself, not going overseas with my family this time. Yeah, it was, you know, I didn't know what to expect Um, straight out of college. I wasn't fully prepared either. Like they, you know, again, it's not as professional. I didn't have a bank account. They paid me in cash. Um, Oh, really? So I yeah. yeah. So I had (laughs) some money, you know, my agent didn't set me up to say, okay, they're going to pay you in cash. We're going to make sure you get a bank account there or whatnot. So just think <laughs> all my money I'm getting paid, dropped in envelopes of cash, <laughs> a, a, a rookie professional athlete getting just, now I'm going every you know week to exchange USD for shekels. So I can, it was, it was crazy, you know, but outside of that, I will say Israel is actually a good place for rookies because it's so Americanized, like they have so many different type of food for Americans. They have everything, Mexican, whatever you might want, Asian food. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus, obviously, uh, the Mediterranean, you know, food. But yeah, first day I arrived, I did have a veteran player on my team who had been in Israel for a while, dropped my bag and she was like, let's go surfing. So my first day (laughs) off the the plane i was surfing uh scratching my feet up at the beach and everything so uh it was fun israel was fun of course there were small things like i said dealing with the money driving like i should not have been driving i I couldn't read the signs you know we didn't i didn't know where i was going so it was just like you just out there just Just like, we go you in know. this car and we go drive somewhere. And hopefully, we can figure we'll it out with our blue mark on our map. Like, <laughs> right. So, and you know, I'm I'm a little older now. So back then, I had Skype. Right. So I had my little <laughs> camera setting it up on my laptop, trying to Skype Type? home. Oh, no. It was it was it was a it was a tough transition, but lifestyle food compared to those that go let's say Eastern Europe or something like that. Yeah. I will say Israel is, is wonderful. The teams, all the teams are close. So uh-huh. you can kind of connect with all the different Americans and, and foreigners that are playing in the league. And and it's fun. It wasn't as bad as the news made it, made it seem like <laughs> to my mom. You know? <laughs> right. And so I was, I'm imagining it. You, you've already touched on this is that players are coming from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I assume that, you know, this this is definitely an opportunity for folks who are professional level caliber athletes who want to continue playing and 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 do the thing you love, right? Yeah. Is this is this a I don't want to say is it a common pathway, but is it a a 
I guess common is the word. Is this a pathway that many athletes tend to choose to sort of extend out and, and continue to play or what, how, how, how do I, I guess in general, how do athletes tend to come to the decision that I'm going to play overseas? I think choosing to go overseas is becoming a new wave. Okay. But usually for the American athlete, I'll speak about the American athlete. They, it's usually, I need to go here to get to the major league the Mm. NBA or whatever. I need to go here, prove myself a little bit, then go back. Most people end up like that. That was me. Like, okay, go overseas, go in Israel, score, get your stats, and then we get you back to the WNBA. That's how it starts for most Americans. Mm -hmm. And then you get there. That opportunity never really comes, and you just keep playing until you accept the fact that, okay, this is my pro career journey. I'm going overseas Europe. Um, that's truthfully, it's always been that players are trying to get to the major league. So they go there because they have no choice. Yes. And then they're going to go back home and usually they get there and it's like, that's, this is your lane, stick to it or, or quit. (laughs) So, um, but now there is a new, there's a new wave of courses. People learn that, oh, I can go play and travel. So now there's that expat lead, as I call us, oh. the new expat lead. Let me, let me write this down. Yeah. Next, I've been doing this for a minute. I haven't heard a new one in a moment. Okay. Yeah, expat leads yeah. that actually love travel. And then being a professional allows you, you know, because you, you, your housing, your visa, everything is paid for. And yeah. so the game you love can now give you access into a new, a new life, um, new opportunities. Yeah. And so if you're talented enough, literally you can take basketball to go touch every part of the, <laughs> of the globe if you want, if you can sustain physically, of course. Right. And you know what I would argue too, you're saying like the sort of this new wave of where people are choosing. I would also argue that these sports have changed across the world over the last few decades, right? Mm-hmm. Too. So like, I I am pretty sure we're seeing probably more competitive leagues in in, in you know I'm saying international from the US mm-hmm. than maybe in, in in decades before where because here's the thing the world doesn't say stagnant right yeah and and the more a sport gets exposure and it grows right the more yep. you have people who are going to who are going to want to go play there because Let's be honest. We have people, obviously, who come from all over the world who want to come play the U.S., right? Yeah. yeah. But we, we have not some yet conceived that there's this strong interest yeah. of going the other way. I mean, I think about countries just in general like Spain, right, where they, they produce such great players that have come and played in the U.S. It's possible to go the other yeah. way. It's just, you know, obviously it's not our country, so we're not. <laughs> we know the yeah. NBA, but don't realize, you know what? The sport's actually really big in this one country. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's definitely growing. A borderless game is, is, as we say, because if we take men's, the Euro League is one of the top men's league uh, compared to the NBA. Yeah. And I think it's a, they've seen a 119% increase in U.S. players, where the NBA, uh, 2022, 13% of the league will be Europeans. Right. And so it's constantly growing. You have, um, NBA Africa, um, the Af- basketball African league. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, you know, a lot of investment dollars right. being thrown into that. Yeah. Um, and then NBA is also in India. So it's going to look a lot <laughs> different in 10 years of, the opportunities players can have and not just get caught up on trying to make it to the WBA 144 sp- spots or right. NBA 300 
40 or something spots like yeah you can go <laughs> there's thousands of spots to go and play in thailand to go right. and play in new zealand you know play in europe italy spain wherever you want to go and so for those that enjoy travel i think yeah. that see the opportunity to travel to see the opportunity to to increase and enrich their lives yeah they're going to take advantage of that and so that's that's but before that was the case. The, the narrative have the narrative has been I have to go here, I have to be here, and then I'm going back home. Back <laughs> yeah. How often with your with your career? How often have you had to move? So, do you typically stay a year, two years, three years, or you know how 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 often is your mobility have been within your career? Yeah, usually basketball the it's one year contracts. Mm-hmm. Some people offer I've stayed two years in Switzerland. I had a two-year contract, but um, it's very rare to see a player stay with one team four years. Let's take, for example, <laughs> right. college. Yeah, It's usually one, two years, and then you're moving around. Um, and so for me, I've gone to, was it nine different teams, mm-hmm. seven different countries I've lived in. Wow. And so, <laughs> and then if I, you know, was going to another team in Italy, I'm still moving. You know, I still have to go from that team. Gotcha. to this other team in Italy, in a different region of Italy. So, um, yeah, due to the type of uh, business it is, and I think this also translates over to the volleyball yeah, pro space, the American football pro space abroad, which is growing as well. Um, people are constantly moving. You know, it's, it's not normal to really keep, like, let's say, a three-year deal with yeah. a team. From a financial standpoint, comparatively, Mm -hmm. you know, is it finance? Obviously, there is the there's the personal, the professional, there's extending out, you know, being able to play the sport that you love. But from a financial standpoint, and and I'm thinking especially now, look, Women's History Month when we're recording this, not when we're playing this is ending and and there've been a lot of ads specifically during the NCAA. They're talking about the disparity in terms of like you know, coverage of fem- of uh, uh, women's sports and, and disparity of pay and all this other stuff and conditions. I mean, that was a big thing, I think, last year between when you looked at the, the NCAA um, basketball tournament, that's the collegiate mm-hmm. level for those of you who aren't American, between men and women and like the accommodations and whatnot. But is it, from a financial standpoint, is it almost better to play abroad? Is it equivalent? Like what, how is from a, is it lucrative or is it just, yeah. it is what it is? I mean, men are women. Like I know um, that's what overseas space is so broad. You have people that make 800 a month, 800 euro a month. Mm-hmm. And then you have people that make, um, you know, I think the highest salary abroad is like, I think 4 million total, total salary. So yeah. again, <laughs> that's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's a big difference. Uh, whereas you have guys maybe making eight hundred a month in Spain second league, and I make more than them, you know. Yeah. And I'm a woman, so um, abroad it's it is it could be lucrative, or eight hundred a month, eight hundred euro a month to leave home and play a game and have not that many resources for us taking care of your body. Some will say it's not worth it. Yeah. Um, and so that's why uh, for women specifically. Obviously, the WNBA has changed things with their new CBA agreement. Mm-hmm. So now for the WNBA, 
some of them still can make big money, of course. Um, so they will still choose to go. But now with new endorsement deals, the ability to maybe work for an NBA team while you're in the offseason for WNBA, those particular 144 players, 144 women, it's a different story for them because now they have those brand deals. They have an increase in salary for the league, plus they have direct access to these teams that will create these opportunities for them to work. And again, you know, it's a, it's a that privilege. You are yeah. the best athletes in the world, so you get access to these privileged things. Yeah. The other 99% of pro <laughs> high level athletes, right. you don't have you don't have a choice. Right. There is no oh is it better to stay home or not? You can't stay home. There there's right. no other league for women. You <laughs> right. know, there I will say for some people it is lucrative. Uh, for some people, you make minimum, you make the, uh, maybe some of us are like uh, middle class yeah. when we get paid. Yeah. Um, so not nobody's that different. You know, right. it's just what's different is our lifestyle. And right. that's that's the part that I try to tell women. That's That's the value. You know, like if I can think through my network and say, I think I know, I think I know somebody who will let me come in their house and eat a meal with them from all these countries, go yeah. back. They from Hawaii, yeah. Midwest, South yeah. America. Like yeah. that's, you can see the world, meet people that adds value to this experience. Um, so it depends because it could be lucrative just from a money standpoint, but also it can be lucrative from a lifestyle networking standpoint, if you mm. use it the right way. Which I think segues really great into your brand. And uh, We Evolve, did I say that mm -hmm. right? Yes. We Evolve. We yeah. Evolve. I, was, I looked at it and said, okay, I don't know where to put the emphasis <laughs> on the E. I love the name. I just was like, I'm going to say this wrong. But um, because I can so much hear your advocacy for overseas athletes. So for those who don't know, can you kind of walk us through what 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 it is and why you launched it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, Weevolve is an exclusive community. Um, it's a platform for global athletes, um, and it allows them to manage their careers and their lifestyles um, within one place. Um, it is it's supported and, you know, powered by the community. Um, and so our collective intelligence is what the application will run on um, from all over the world. And so, again, um, I believe in the lost community of athletes. That's what I call us. And that's why we've all started. Um, the name we've all means for we evolve um, as an athletes. And it, it just started from my personal mantra, willingly evolving um, of, of just trying to get out that athletic bubble. Mm -hmm. And it was like, we all need to do this with everything growing NIL, the business side of sports is booming, yeah. but we still hear the same issues with athletes in the news. The same things. Oh, they don't have an identity. Oh, they went broke. Oh, they don't do this. And that powers the other side. The commercial side makes money off us being uneducated. Right. They make money off us doing one thing, shuffle us out. Why would they want that assembly line changed? Right. It's, it's clearly working for them. And so in order for us to be a part of that and have a seat at the table, we have to evolve. And so that's where the name came from. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've always basically a community led platform that we are about to start our beta testing with the application. 
And um, it's all to, to basically collect all of our intelligence from each person from all over the globe and bring it to one spot to help us better make decisions, um, navigate the world. Yeah. Um, but then also have that frat sorority type feel where when we go into these different places of the world, workforces, we look out for each other um, because we understand how we transition. We understand how we maintain. And so there's a level of, of uh, commitment to one another. And so that's that's what we're, we're doing. And again, as, as you said before, Brittany Griner is the big name, but yeah. players have been over here for, <laughs> I don't know, decades. I mean, as long as we can, you know, yeah. before I was born, women were going overseas playing. So it's just now things are changing. You know, storytelling's changing and the... You know, that community is kind of growing as far as like what people think and what people know. And I love the fact that, you know, it seems like it is sport agnostic, meaning it is just open. Like Mm -hmm. the focus is really on the overseas athlete, not necessarily just the sport that they play clearly, Mm -hmm. right? So basketball, volleyball, football, whatever there is. And so I guess that it leads me to this kind of this final question. And I, especially in tangent to what you just said, you know, you are, you've been playing overseas for a while. Obviously Mm -hmm. you are in your, I'm going to say thirties. You know, I don't put anybody's full age out here. I'm in my my thirties. What, what do you see is on the horizon for you? Because, you know, and this is anyone at some point, we slow down or stop doing what it is we've been doing for a significant amount mm-hmm. of time. And for you, I mean, it's been most of your life. What do you, what do you, what do you think's next for you as you kind of look at your career and, 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 and this advocacy piece that you are part of? Yeah. I mean, there's a, a few elements that I've discovered about myself throughout the journey and being proactive with it. Of course, obviously we evolve um, as a sport tech startup, so that's yeah. that's definitely on the horizon. We definitely hope and pray that, you know, we continue to grow. And that's mm-hmm. something that I will be a part of, obviously, long term. Um, and then removed from just the Weevolve platform and community. Personally, I, you know, I, I definitely want to continue to work in travel and lifestyle. How does that look? Uh, try to figure it out. Um, it's a space that I'm not in. I'm in it. I'm living that travel lifestyle yeah. all over the world. But from a business standpoint, how do you turn that into something yeah. um, based on my network and my experiences? So I know it's something that I definitely want to to be a part of, especially as, you know, black people going all over the world now. Yeah. So that's that's something that I can leverage to, to be a part of that community as people go on the horizon, go yeah. all over. I definitely think I want to balance the same lifestyle I have. Uh, without basketball. So there's a element I want to live, you know, a hybrid, some yeah. part of the year abroad, part of the year stateside. And so, you know, there's, there's that, the advocacy standpoint is just continuing to, to be a storyteller for the lost community, as I call us abroad. And then also helping to change rules. So we get more resources. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of resources are wasted, like NBA Players Association, a lot of those guys don't use those. How can we repurpose those for yeah. for a group of athletes that do need it if they're not going to use it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of different things, but I would say travel lifestyle and then uh, obviously working in sport tech um, are two of the elements that 
would be the next step for me. I'm thinking to myself, what do we find out later on? Jory becomes a, <laughs> an agent. <laughs> she's she's laughing, right? You yeah. end up becoming the person that maybe you needed. Yeah. Yeah. Who has extensive experience with the overseas space and knows how this is this is the career counselor in me, like on the air yeah. going, I see Joy working with younger Joys. Yeah. <laughs> how no, but however you do it. I mean, obviously you have a brand and you have a space and you have a voice and and in case people don't know, she literally has a voice. She's at a podcast. I mean, I, <laughs> she's, she yeah. really does tell these stories. And and I, I am so impressed with you. But, oh, my gosh, Jory, thank you for, I guess for you, it's midday hanging out with me. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, early perfect, on my side of the planet. Time. Yeah, you got up <laughs> super like, early. <laughs> I was like, we're going to make this happen. Um, the great thing is all of Joy's contacts are going to be in the show notes. We're going to have it up on the website, including her brand so that you can learn a little bit more about what they're doing. And, and you know, like I said, I think that this is, this is a space that many of us don't understand or haven't lived. And so I love hearing your if I can say it, expat fleet. <laughs> um, yeah, expat fleet. Yeah. I was like, yeah, okay, gonna steal that. I'm gonna credit her, yeah. <laughs> but I'm gonna steal it um, because I think you've educated a lot of us on 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 that space. So thank you for for coming on the chatter. Oh no, thank you. I'm I'm glad to to be a part of it and look forward to to staying in touch and and following the brand as well. You've just listened to an episode of the Global Chatter, which is hosted by me. Amanda Bates. It is edited by Stephanie Ficcio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Global Chatter or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. 
Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.